In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede to me. With the permission of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. When we look at you, Lord, in the Gospel, in your interaction with the Pharisees, we see how hostile they are invariably to you. Again and again, they are badgering you, attacking you. And even this is even though they see miracles worked in, right in front of them and they hear your wonderful, the wonderful content of your teaching. And it makes us ask the question, why were they so upset with you? What did you do to upset them so much? And when you look at the different kind of interactions, it seems to me that one of the reasons that they were so upset by you, Lord, is that you didn't take, or seem to take seriously the things that they took very seriously. And what they took most seriously above all was themselves. The Pharisees strike you as in a bad sense, very serious men. They're very serious about their, their keeping the every last little dot of the commandments, hiding their mint and cumin and all these things, even down to things that are kind of almost, well, actually totally ridiculous. Like, do you eat an egg that was laid by a hen on the Sabbath? That actually was a problem for some of them. They take these things very seriously. They take their broad phylacteries very seriously. They take it very seriously whether they are greeted obsequiously in the market squares. And when they see Jesus and his apostles, and especially their kind of spirit of freedom, um, the freedom, for example, of eating the corn that they've crushed in their hands on the Sabbath, or the freedom that our Lord has in mingling with all kinds of people. And, uh, and they, they resent that kind of freedom. But above all, what they resent is this seriousness that you don't give them in a way, that they take themselves so seriously. They're, not, they're men that you never imagine them smiling, or never imagine you laugh, them laughing at a joke, or are laughing above all at themselves. You never get that impression. Maybe some of the, the better ones, that Nicodemus and so on is one of the Pharisees. He's the occasional, the occasional personality, but for as a body, they, they seem to be grimly serious and grimly serious about themselves. Why is this? I would suggest one reason is that they are, it is truth, the truth that they are very learned men. They have been studying scriptures since their childhood, probably. They know it backwards. Probably very gifted, even intellectually very gifted. And they, perhaps many of them, fall into the danger that St. Paul actually warns us about 
when he's writing to the Corinthians, because he says, knowledge puffs up. They're puffed up by all their learning. And they, they're very proud. It's essentially just pride is their downfall. And this pride has its expression in taking themselves deadly serious. And therefore, one of the reasons anyway, that they despise you, Lord, so intensely, because it doesn't resonate with you, their conceit. Now, I wanted to just look a little bit at <clears throat> things that St. Maria, from the lessons of the life of St. Maria, in this regard, <clears throat> good humor, uh, not taking yourself so seriously, because one of his great lessons, and it's one that even though by nature he was gifted, it appears, and he says it himself in the humility, but he was gifted with good humor. Because remember he says that when he founded Opus Dei in 1928, all he had was his 26 years of age, very young, and his good humor. So that he was kind of, by temperament, a cheerful, outgoing, good-humored kind of person. But it wasn't all just natural temperament. It was something that he worked on. It was something also with the supernatural foundation as well. The supernatural foundation for St. Maria, of course, was that he was so aware and in a growing way that he was a child of God. And this, for him always, you see his different writings, and he said, well, no matter what happens, we're happy because we're children of God. That's the, the ultimate foundation, not his personality, or the, you know, his God-given dispositions. It's not that that helps. But the ultimate foundation of his cheerfulness is this profound awareness of being a child of God. But there is that other, other part of it too, which is how he works on it. Santa Maria has it, but at times, like us all, he loses his good youth. And he works on recovering it. One of the stories which you might have heard of him, sometime in the 30s, something happened that made him really lose his temper. And he had a strong temperament. So that when he lost his temper, I suppose he could really lose his temper because he wasn't a shrinking violet type. He was, he was kind of, um, you know, six cylinders, uh, double barreled. He was, he was high octane. Because I suppose he needed to be for to, to carry out the task that God had given him. It would have been just cruel if God hadn't given him such a strong motor, so to speak. But sometimes he could get annoyed. And, and at one stage, he, he's got very annoyed about something. And he has a very sour face on him. And he, he went into a photo booth, uh, put in his whatever it was, little coins, and uh, got the four photographs taken. And then he, he, he got rid of three of them and he kept one of them in his diary for a good while afterwards. Because on it was this sour expression and he would look at it just to remind himself that he looked so stupid, looking so grimly serious. So, um, so he was, would be able to look at that photograph from time to time and remind himself, don't be so. Don't take yourself so, so seriously. And that is, that's, that's the aesthetical struggle that's working also on his, on working on, on cheerfulness. So it wasn't just that it was in awareness of divine filiation or just his, his natural dispositions. It was also something that he had to work on, which is kind of encouraging for, for us all, I think, 
that it's no surprise that at times we lose our good humor. We may lose it because we're just exhausted, as in just physiologically, we're not in a good way. It could be a short-term or a long-term kind of exhaustion. We're not responsible for that. It could be that lockdown is getting to us. It's very slow to unwind and we might be doing very well. And at this stage, we're actually without even realizing it, but that we are actually getting kind of short-tempered and losing that good humor easily, kind of put out of sorts. All these things are, are very possible. So it's our, it's our theme for this second meditation of the recollection and, and looking in particular at St. Joseph Maria because of the feast day. 26th of June, coming up. Now this year, we won't have a big mass here in Dublin or anywhere for that matter, I don't think. But, um, but anyway, it is the, it's the month when we think a little bit more about the example of St. Josemaria. Right, just before this meditation, we had a get-together, not a, well, a Zoom get-together with uh, a priest in Rome, Don Jose Luis Gonzalez, who's an historian. He's wrote two very serious tomes about St. Josemaria in the early years. Um, and he, he's very because he's, he's probably the most knowledgeable man perhaps now at this stage about the life the early life certainly of St. Rosemary but in it he was describing just how much St. Rosemary suffered without kind of overdoing it but the incredible suffering especially the Spanish Civil War and all the setbacks he told us an interesting figure he told that going into the Spanish Civil War St. Rosemaria had, if I remember now correctly, 21 men, numeries, and 12 women. At the end of the war, he had 12 men, numeries, and one woman. He lost, between, between death and losing contact and everything, he lost nearly half of the men and nearly all the women. Uh, he was down to down to not quite square one, square one, but not very far off. And yet all, none of these things kind of soured him. He, he, he was so impressive, you can see in his photographs, typically a smiling face, sometimes a worried face, uh, like a photograph of him looking at his destroyed residence, but very, for the most part, you know, a smiling, smiling face. So it's, it's, very, it's very telling. Also at this time, actually, I came across a nice, quote, before the Spanish Civil War, and Don Jose, Jose Luis spoke, spoke about this, St. Rosemaria used to visit uh, hospitals, especially because he needed to ask sick people to offer their prayers for Opus Day. It was such a huge task. And somebody went around, kind of maybe just checking up afterwards, asking the sick people how they had found St. Rosemaria. And he said, in, he wrote this down afterwards, he said, that these sick people in the hospitals in Madrid would invariably reply, what a charming person. His conversation is so pleasant. He never takes things too seriously. That was their experience of him. And you hear that again and again and again. Charming, pleasant, humorous, lighthearted. So quite, quite a character. But again, not just personality. Let's ask for that. And we might feel looking at ourselves, well, nobody's ever going to say that about me. Um, well, we have to work on it. Now, I just have six little ideas here. Well, let me see, six, four, actually. Four little ideas. Practical things that might help us 
in this business of good humor. Lessons which ultimately come from St. Rosemaria. And I think there, there, there are four things that I think that we could say he practiced uh, himself to a, a heroic, in a heroic way. The very first one would be, don't grow up too much. Don't become too mature. It's, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I recently I've been giving talks in philosophy and we, we dealt with some very, kind of very uh, serious philosophers. And, and, and they are invariably are very serious because no matter what photograph you get of them online, you'd be hard pressed to get a, a photograph of some of these guys smiling, especially the more kind of, the ones with a more grim kind of philosophy. And they always look so serious. And I think it's a, maybe a little bit of the Pharisee syndrome, where, well, I know so much, and they do know an awful lot, of course, but it leads them a little bit to be puffed up and take themselves and take life, and, you know, especially like the existentialist, where it's all grim, you know. And we can become a little bit, you know, if we grow up too much, you know, too wise, too worldly wise, that it can knock the child out of us, and we lose that lightness of touch. So there is a danger. <clears throat> the danger as the years pass by. Um, I think it was Chesterton said, nice thing, he said, angels can fly because they don't take themselves too seriously. Kind of nice. Angels, angels will leave us in the halfpenny place, you know, qualities, intellectual qualities. You know. But you, a nice thought that the angels don't actually take themselves so seriously. They might need mind being portrayed in, you know, paintings typically as little cherubs, little babies with wings. They're, 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 I, I, I think maybe that represents their, their kind of, their innocence. But I think it's, it's kind of a very, it falls very short of what an angel is. But you know, can imagine they don't mind. They laugh about that, being portrayed as a little cherub, little angel with wings, a little baby with wings. They don't take themselves too seriously and they can fly. So same with us, you know, we will have a lighter touch. We will spread a lighter touch. We don't take ourselves and our life and our problems and our jobs and everything all so seriously. Something to ask our Lord. Within that, and that idea of not growing too, in the inverted commas, too mature, is another little thing that Pope Benedict says, which is wonderful. And coming from him, it's quite nice also. He says, smiling is an act of humility. Smiling is an act of humility. And I, I, would, I would bet you, you even think, you know, think of a mental image of Pope Benedict. I, I suspect you will immediately think of a kind of shyly smiling face, despite the fact that probably, that probably the world has not seen such an intelligent man in the last hundred years. I'll just throw that out there because it sounds good. But from reading him, you, you would suspect that perhaps the world has not seen such a mind in a century. And there he is, when you see the mental image of Pope Benedict, humbly smiling man. And, and that lovely phrase, smiling is an act of humility. So for ourselves, and maybe we can ask you, Lord, for, for that capacity, you know, to not grow up too much. St. Josemaria, when he celebrated his 70th birthday, he said, and not just kind of in a kind of figurative way, he said, 
Well, now the zero doesn't count, so I'm just seven years old. And okay, obviously he's just playing, but in one sense he's not, because he really felt himself to be a child of seven years old. Second little idea. It was mentioned actually in this talk given by Don Jose Luis, something I'd never heard before because he was asked about Blessed Alvaro, the role of Blessed Alvaro with Saint Rosemaria. It was so helpful to Saint Rosemaria. But he, made, he said something, I, I, it, was, it was kind of news to me. He said, well, actually, Blessed Alvaro was like a father to Saint Rosemaria. Even though he's, he was younger, he was 12 years younger than Saint Rosemaria, and obviously he came through the Opus Day through Saint Rosemaria. But he was like a father to him, very striking. He was somebody that Saint Rosemary, obviously from the moment that he was ordained, uh, Saint Rosemary confessed, went to confession in spiritual direction with, with Blessed Alvaro. He was somebody he could open his heart to. He's somebody who, who could humanly, he could pour out his woes to. And that, I think that's another thing for ourselves. Think of that, the importance of confession and spiritual guidance that you, Lord, give us a wonderful gift of the capacity everybody and every Catholic has the right to ask a priest for confession, virtually at any time of day or night, well, maybe with certain exceptions, and also spiritual guidance. And so often, you know, we come out of spiritual guidance with a, light, with a spring in our step because we've unburdened ourselves. We've, we're, we're, because we go, we've got a St. Rosemary compared it to a, a boulder that we're carrying on our shoulders. We go to confession, we go to spiritual direction, and we unburden ourselves. We take that boulder off our shoulders, and we're so much the lighter afterwards. So for ourselves, um, maybe to, to, to ask the Lord, help me to use my confession, help me to go to spiritual guidance, knowing that so often, Lord, you, through that priest, through that person who hears my, my chat, that I will have my soul lightened. It's a great gift. Third, third, third idea. Um, third idea is not to be too rigid. Sometimes that's a, a you know, cause of, of a lack of good humor. If we just get too rigid about things. We lack an, a flexibility. Um, about ourselves, we can be very first place, we can be very rigid with ourselves. And we don't just make allowances. Well, you did your best, that's fine. And then if we're kind of maybe a little bit hard on ourselves, but rigid on ourselves, we'll be that way with others as well. Let's ask our Lord to, to help us not to be, again, those Pharisees are so rigid. You think again, so rigid about the rules, the Sabbath, that they're, they're scandalized by the fact that they, the, the apostles are milling grain, you know, in their hand, they're crushing the grain in their hand as they go through the fields. And all they're working, which is completely stupid, really. But, uh, but you know, they're so inflexible. And, and, and sometimes we, they, we fall into a bit of that as well. We can be very inflexible with, with people, with our family, children, whoever it might be. Very inflexible. Let's ask for a bit, of an, a bit more flexibility. Again, Saint Josemaria, I think, is a very good example of that. He was very certainly, he took sin very seriously. <clears throat> he would rather die than commit a mortal sin. And he took venial sin very seriously. But uh, outside of that, well, live and let live. You know, and okay, we can bend the rules in this particular case or whatever it might be. So flexibility. The last one, 
And I'm going to read a little passage from St. Rosemaria with this. There's a passage in a homily in, in Christ is passing by. And here, here it is, so a little bit long, but bear with me. He says, it can sometimes happen that even well-intentioned people, means that's us, create personal problems, even serious ones, he says, which are no objective basis whatsoever. They, we just, we invent something out of nothing. We create something. And these problems, sometimes he says, because they come because we desire to be the center of attention and to be favored by everyone. We always want to look good. We are, we are petrified by the idea of looking bad. Now, you know, that certainly we might say, gosh, that, that, I could take that box. You know, in fact, maybe not with certain people, but with other people, you know, work or my friends or, or whatever it might be, that I, would, that I would look bad. That I always want to appear in a good light. I want people to think very highly of me the whole time. And St. Rosemary says that this can be the source of a lot of turmoil, a lot of kind of turmoil that we don't need. And funny, again, think of St. Rosemary, because he's our kind of our guiding thread through this. He was, he was a wonderful saint. He was an incredibly good man. He had faults that he had to struggle against, like any man, but he struggled against them pretty well. But for all that, he was held in great suspicion by priests, by hierarchy, in eminent members of the hierarchy, held him in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, in, in great suspicion. Um, they really did not think highly of him at all. They thought he was a heretic. They ensured that his books would be burnt in Barcelona. They arranged that if he was, were to go to Barcelona at a certain point in the 40s, he would be arrested. And so, and, and, and many of these were very good men. And yet they had total disregard for St. Rosemaria. And that wasn't, just like anybody, he, he was overheard. And Don Alvaro, blessed Alvaro, heard him praying in the oratory when he thought he was alone, saying to Jesus, Lord, if my reputation doesn't matter to you, that's fine, take it away. His reputation was on, was on the floor. And he was able to embrace that. Well, a guy with, who had great self-respect, who had a great sense of nobility and so on, and yet if he was to be considered um, a disaster, to be considered a heretic, well, fine. You and I wouldn't find that so easy. We wouldn't find it so easy. That people think badly, good people think badly of me. That I lose my good reputation. That can be hard. He says in this little passage, he says that if these people were content just to do good and disappear, they would enjoy a wonderful peace of soul. It's a pity, basically, it's a pity that they don't, that they can be so unhappy and so unfruitful because they are petrified about, you know, they're so concerned about how they appear. Going back to the Pharisees, they, for all their disdain for the little people, for the common people, they really have tremendous disdain for the, what are called the, in Greek, the hoi polloi, the great unwashed. They, they really have great disp despise them. And yet for all that, they really, really fear the crowd turning against them, losing the approbation of the crowd. 
losing those obsequious greetings, losing the crowd being impressed by their broad phylacteries, are very impressed by the donations that they make in the temple, are uh, turning against them because they're not so fond of John the Baptist. All these things keep cropping up. They are obsessed with their public image. It's amazing. It's, they're really upset. And, and of course, this is the age of public image with Twitter and Facebook and my friends and my likes and all that kind of thing. And that can kind of get us as well. What does the, gen the general public think of me? And it's, that is a real recipe for a lot of unease. Let's ask Jesus. Let's say with Jesus or with St. Maria, Lord, if I'll do my best, as long as I'm doing that, whatever happens to my reputation, I don't mind. You do with it what you want that uh, I, 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 I lose prestige in people's eyes, fine. As long as I'm trying to do what you want. In fact, and I'd even, well, we might say, I would, I would even embrace that because, well, humility is better than pride. And that would be, would be helpful for humility. Anyway, there, there, are, there are four little things that they um, don't grow up too much, confession and spiritual guidance, flexibility, and not to be too concerned about what people think of us. There are four ingredients that can help us. Let's finish up then, turning to Our Lady. Our Lady, you know, although we could go through those four things with Our Lady very nicely, but certainly Our Lady does seem to have been so, she's the most intelligent creature outside of, I don't know, if we could even say outside of the angels, she's just uniquely gifted. And that doesn't for a moment lead her, lead her to be puffed up. Uniquely amongst all of creatures, uniquely gifted, super gifted. And not for a moment puffed up. She doesn't take herself seriously. You can imagine Our Lady's smile, her good humor, the twinkle in her eye, all these things the whole time. And above all, the great joy in her soul and a source of joy. So let's ask Our Lady to, to help us, especially if we're losing it or, or the virus is making us lose it or whatever it is. To, to help us recover that joy. We call, we, we invoke her as cause of our joy. So let's ask Our Lady, cause of our joy, to intercede for us. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.